Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Italian-American podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian-Americans learn about their heritage. We talk to experts, authors, and everyday Italian-Americans on all things Italian from traditions, culture, food, genealogy, travel, and more. All right. Today, we're excited because we have yet another New York Times bestselling author on the show today, Lisa Scottolini, and it was a really fun episode. Dolores, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Anthony. Yeah, it's been several episodes since we've had a big recognizable name on the show. We we always love doing um, episodes like this. It's just a lot of fun. Kind of a marker of some of the, the bigger names in the community, and Lisa was really funny. We talked to her for a long time, and we laughed a lot. Yeah, we did. We certainly did. But uh, also in the story segment of the episode today, I got a chance to chat with Zachary Diono, events director for the Friends of Italy Society of Hawaii. And we talk a lot about the feast um, that his society is putting on. He got there. You know, he didn't get involved right away in the Italian American community, but eventually he did. And it's been pretty awesome for him. You'll hear about the experience and they're going to have their first ever feast um, in October. And you'll hear about that in the segment at the end of the show. And we'll also link to the website um, so you can get some more information about it. It's pretty cool. We met Zach, of course, through our community that we created online, The New Neighborhood, a place for Italian-Americans. And the whole reason that we created this community was to try to pull Italian-Americans together from all different parts of the country and create this space online that we don't really have all the time in physical neighborhoods anymore. Obviously, this is working and we're growing strong relationships and we're able to find people like Zach, who you'll get to meet at the end of the show. And it's 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 exciting. Right. Zach joined the neighborhood a while back and he taught all of us in there that there are actually Italian-Americans in Hawaii. And, and even at the end of my conversation with Zach, he even you know said to me, like, you know, I'll see you around in the neighborhood. Meaning like, you know, Love that. Love in, that. Our, in our community, <laughs> in the neighborhood, which is pretty cool because if you think about it, how would I really get to see him? in Hawaii or communicate with him. But now we have this kind of highway to keep everyone together. And it's been great that the new neighborhood has been great. We're sharing recipes and all kinds of stuff in there. And the feedback is great. And really it, it's comfortable. One thing I can say about it is that if you feel like sharing a family tradition or a memory or asking a question, it's just a comfortable place to do that. Yeah. You know, and, and people also just post things that are kind of going on in the world, articles they've read, comments about Italian Americans that they read. And it just gives us a place to have a conversation about these things with one another. All right. So before we introduce our guest, we'd like to offer a brief word from our sponsor, the National Italian American Foundation. I'm John Viola, president of the National Italian American Foundation, proud supporters of the Italian American podcast. At NIAF, we know there's nothing more important than family, and we invite you to be a part of ours. We work hard to protect our great heritage, to promote the Italian language, to build stronger ties between Italy and the United States, and to serve as your voice in our nation's capital. Most importantly, 
With over a million dollars a year in scholarships and grants, we provide young Italian-Americans help in earning a solid education and becoming future leaders for our community. To find out more about how your support serves the community, visit us online at www.niaf.org and become a part of the NIAF family. All right. Now I'd like to introduce our guest for today's episode. Lisa Scottolini is the New York Times bestselling author and Edgar award-winning author of 29 novels, including her latest work, Exposed. She also writes a weekly column with her daughter, Francesca Saratella, for the Philadelphia Inquirer titled Chickwit, which is a witty and fun take on life from a woman's perspective. Dolores, why don't you bring us into the interview here with a quote? Okay, we chose this quote from Albert Hubbard because, as you'll hear, Elisa talks a lot about all the struggle that came before her great success. A little more persistence, a little more effort, and what seemed hopeless failure may turn to glorious success. All right, now we are thrilled to welcome Lisa Scottolini, best-selling author to the Italian American podcast. Lisa, welcome. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. This is just so important to me. Oh, Lisa, we are so happy to speak with you. It, it took a little while for us to arrange it, but it's so worth the wait. Glad to have you on. Family so important to us as Italian Americans. So we begin every show by asking our guests just to tell us a little bit about their Italian American upbringing. Right. I mean, it's just so important to me. And in our family, I'm happy to say Italian-American, but we didn't say that. We said Italian. Mm. Like we were Italian. And I, of course, had aunts and uncles that were born in Italy. So many of them spoke only Italian. I didn't speak Italian. My parents did. They spoke both. To each other, they spoke Italian sometimes when they didn't want us to know what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so fundamental to everything about me and the unconditional love in fact, it's funny, I'm in Denver now on book tour for another book, and people say, you know, what's the hallmark of your childhood? And it's, it is that unconditional love. And when I put that in the novels, that's what people respond to. You know, that stereotype, that the good stereotype about us, that we are really loving and really adore family. And like my parents, I could do no wrong. And it wasn't even that I achieved anything. To me, the best story about that is when I did become a novelist. My father, of course, would come to the signings and they would just like weep. With <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Somebody said to my dad once, you must be so proud of her now that she's a writer. And my dad said, lady, I was proud of her when she came out of the egg. Oh. And I know. <laughs> and my mother was the same. We just, it's funny that I became an author because I just loved reading when I was little. But my mother was always like, go out and play. It'll ruin your eyes. It was yeah. never about getting good grades. I got great grades, and I'd bring them home, and she would go, you don't have to work so hard. Be happy. Their values were so wonderful. And I actually went to a, you know, a modern American high school. There was a lot of pressure, college and all that stuff. And my house was the one that everybody wanted to come to. I always had parents saying, I love you no matter what, not I love you if you get an A or I'll love you and I'll pay you if you get an A, or you got to get into this school. I just know that it is that cultural and the food, of course, and the family. My mother was one of 19 kids, believe it or not. Oh, my goodness. And most of them were at our house on Sunday. <laughs> that is crazy. I mean, that is. It's a big It thing. was crazy. with this little tiny house, but everybody just was chowing down, you know, around 3 o'clock, which is Italian dinner time. Right. And, uh, it was just, look, I could go on and on, but 
the funny thing is they used to use the word Metagon. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what, I knew that was everybody else. And I got to <laughs> tell you, it wasn't until I was 20 that I realized they were saying American. <laughs> I remember I go down, there was white bread. That's what my mother said it the first time. I'll never forget because she's that's Metagon. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want that. That's Metagon. And then you're like, wait, what? <laughs> It's too much. It's That's too much. so funny. That's funny. So we're so lucky. We're so lucky to be born into this culture. Agreed. I know you've been on TV quite a bit, like with your books and for interviews. And it's funny because Dolores and I are always saying, like, no matter how much your Italian parents like love you, it's like when they see you on TV, it's like the ultimate. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like my kids are on TV. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, that's what does it. That's so true. So I'm wondering if they were like, oh, it was like, you know, when the first time you were on TV, if everyone was like up in arms. They were totally over the moon. And I have to tell you, <laughs> this will show you how weird, how weirdly crazy they were about me. That I remember I said to my mother, well, I'm going to go to New York and do, do TV. I can't wait to see New York. She said, honey, I can't wait for New York to see you. Oh, that's <laughs> that awesome. That is so sweet. Oh, my gosh. And now, obviously, that, how, family. I know. I mean, sadly, the anniversary of her death just a few years ago was yesterday and Palm Sunday is when she passed and it's just, but you know, she's with me and these family, they're always with us, aren't they? I mean, they never, of course, the things they teach you and the memories they give you, you know, that's certainly what keeps them around for sure. Well, and I write about them. I mean, people are, my readers are not stupid. You know, they said even yesterday, where did you get, you know, the Denunzio family, which we'll talk about, but Mm -hmm. it's in the novels. And I said, that's my mother and father. Bingo. That's it. That's great. So you model them after your parents. They're very different. Like they look different and they're older, but the ferocity of the love and the certainty of the love that they give their children is absolutely bedrock Italian, Italian American. And I grew up with that. You know, it makes me, of course, no. And I'm thinking of this thing I've read once by author Don DeLillo. It was, I'm not going to remember it verbatim, but it's an excerpt from one of his books. And it's basically this description of an Italian family sitting around the dinner table and all the kids are like screaming and marching and running through the house. And all the grownups are like watching them and smiling and laughing. And the basic point of the whole passage is like these children are not necessarily remarkable and they're not necessarily even doing anything remarkable, but just by virtue of being their children, they're in awe of them and love them and filled with this joy. It's a really beautiful passage. I'll have to find it and post it at some point, but yeah. It's that same idea. I think so that's really true. Though. And I, in, in my books, I kind of like to include those little moments, too, that I think only Italian-Americans know about. Like, my mother could take off the evil eye. The, mm-hmm. the Maloik, that was, that was a dialect. But yep. I said, I'm going to put this in a book. And I, I swear to God, it worked. Like, <laughs> she would say, <laughs> you, someone's jealous of you. Let me take, let me take them off. That was yep. the slang. To put that in a book, and I saw response to that. Because what's interesting to me, too, is you love when the Italian-American community responds and says, oh, my aunt did that. But I also love when communities that are of other ethnicities respond and say, we have that in our culture, too, and it's called this. And mm-hmm. you start to realize the commonality of immigrant communities and how much they have to offer. Absolutely. Some things go across boundaries. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that one of the things that's really interesting about, you know, all of your success, Lisa, is that Dolores and I joke a lot and we talk, well, not always joking, but serious about the fact that 
the fact that we're Italian and American, like we're really lucky. I mean, those are two great nationalities that we're able to, you know, kind of have part of both of them. What you're saying is, you know, you're writing with that Italian American, the values and the traditions and everyone, you don't just have Italian Americans reading your books. Obviously you have tons of readers. And so it just shows you like how the Italian culture is like, such a positive thing for everybody, like a magnet, like you said, like your house, people wanted to go to your house. The same thing with your books. People want to read your books, you know? You're so sweet to say that because I do think that warmth, that intimacy, like I hug people on tour. I hug all my readers. And I was in Oklahoma. Everybody was hugging me back. People like that, that our culture, and I agree with you about the best of both, because sometimes, you know how I think secretly, because I've thought about it a lot, that what's common to both Italian culture and American culture is storytelling. You know, in that the American culture has, like, the First Amendment is about freedom of speech. And I don't think anybody's talkier than Italians. (laughs) That's for sure. You can't shut us up. And happily here, I'm talking to you guys. I feel like it's home. We interrupt each other. You know, (laughs) that culture of storytelling. And, of course, Italian culture has produced, you know, Dante. I mean, we have some of the greatest storytellers of our time. And down to Dom DeLillo, right? Dom DeLillo, amazing. Gay Talese. Frank Latricia, we have John Fonte. I mean, we have wonderful tradition of storytelling. I just feel so lucky and blessed. I just lucked out the way I was born. I really, yeah. and I do like that I have a little secret agenda sometimes in writing about it. I mean, we, with the, certainly the Rosado and Denunzio series, I'm not bragging about, I don't want to say, it's an iconic crime fiction series that stars two Italian-American women. Do you know, do you understand that? How yeah, great right. that is and how love. It's I'm amazing not for our I'm community, great. yeah. It's right, to have that out in the world. Absolutely. Like in the world, it is, abs- I've been president of Mystery Writers. It is actually bedrock. It's one of the iconic series in crime fiction. And it's just Italian girls. In a million years, I didn't think I would be able to pull that off. That's but, why it's so know, necessary to have Italian-American writers absolutely. like you doing what you're doing. Well, that's kind of you to say, and I appreciate that, but I think it's also, like you guys are saying, people respond to, it's not like I'm a genius or a great writer. It's that people respond to the warmth and the vitality and the emotionality and the, that nature. And interestingly, you know, when you think about these two separate characters, one is Mary D'Annunzio and one is Benny Rosato. Mary D'Annunzio is the one that's a little more like me, like she's the hardcore Italian family and really loving a people pleaser to a certain extent, wants to be connected up. Benny Rosado is a little more reserved because I wanted to sort of play with the notion that even not all Italians are the same, although in the main, we still run hotter than most people. (laughs) Um, There's another side to the coin, the stoic, the stoic type. Yeah, exactly. And my father's side was like that, Mm -hmm. but we still made great food and still that family stuff was always there. And I love writing about that. And I, I feel so happy and lucky that that it's in the world so that certainly kids who have Italian-American extraction can pick up a book and, damn it, see a representation that is not a mobster. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Exactly. it's really, really important. That's not who we are. Yeah, it is. We've had that conversation. Look, sorry, we, I got on my soapbox for a minute. No, no, no. no, no. We've, we've talked about all this. And I actually, you know, they were on the topic of, you know, Italian-American writers and even Italian-American characters. We've been fortunate enough to talk to a lot of authors of varying levels of, say, worldly success, right? Some of them are academic writers. We've spoken to Gay Talese, Adriana Trigiani. Oh, and, I love Adriana. 
Yes. And, you know, you're giving me the same vibe that I got from Adriana. You're both like super warm. Like you said before, it feels like home. It's very interesting to me. I'm, I'm right. picking up on that. We've had all these conversations with people about Italian-American in terms of the book. So, for instance, Gate Talese contends that Italian-Americans don't really read, right, that we're not people of the book. That's That was a, a quote of his. But then we have conversations with people even about you and your success and about Adriana's success. And it's kind of like this chicken or the egg question, you know, you're hugely successful, uh, many times over bestseller. And as you've been saying, you write about Italian-Americans. So that kind of turns the idea that Italian-Americans are not good uh, products for books or that they don't want to read on its head. And the same thing with Adriana. I mean, most of Adriana's books are about Italian-Americans. Right. I love Gay Talese. He's wonderful. And his book was seminal. And I'll never forget the sort of olive-skinned in the freckle-faced town of when he describes Ocean City. And I've met mm -hmm. him. And he's, but I don't agree with him. There was currency to the notion before Terry McMillan that African-Americans didn't read books. And mm -hmm. I think that's just, honestly, it's just prejudice. Because, and I think, frankly, we Italians suffer from, though we are a culture that we have produced we could go on and on, right? Michelangelo, one after the other. Right. Raphael, I mean, just incredible arts and culture. We're, the Renaissance, we're responsible for so much. But I do think there's sometimes a prejudice that sometimes Italians are not smart. Oh, yeah, definitely. And so the idea that Italians don't read books is just a part of that stereotype that we're dumb. Enrico Fermi, we have produced nuclear scientists, Toscanini, the intellectual rigor and abilities in Italians is well established. So I'm not ever going to cop to any idea that Italians don't read books. I know I have a very large Italian-American fan base. I'm really proud of that. And I think it's an underserved market. You know, there's lots of underserved markets in the world. It doesn't mean that they don't want it. It means they're right. not written to. We spoke to Anthony Tambori, the dean of the Calandra Institute. He yeah, he actually brought you up in the context of this conversation because I kind of asked him the same thing. You know, it came up. He said, if the major publishing houses are not publishing books by Italian-Americans, then the Italian-American audience is not being served. So it's like you're right. feeding this. It's like a snake eating its own tail. You know, you're feeding this idea because it's an underserved market. You're not giving it to them. Right. And that happens across the board. Look at it writ large on movies. There's superhero movie after superhero. They're serving an audience of young 12-year-old boys. That right. doesn't mean that older people or women or all of the other groups who aren't that don't want a good movie. It means that's all they're making. When I was writing and I started Mary Denunzio, it was my first book in 1994. Because, frankly, I was reading so much. I always read. I'm a crazy writer. And I didn't see much ethnicity in the characters. And here I was, apropos your first question, feeling so very ethnic. It's the first thing I say. I still say Italian and not Italian-American. I said, I'm going to write what you know. I wrote an Italian-American female lawyer, which is exactly what I am. When I thought to add more lawyers, I said, well, why change it up now? I like that we are so... I wanted it to be more, so I had to be the mm -hmm. one who wrote it. Right. And as you point out, Adriana writes it. So many other wonderful writers write it. And I hope that people who listen to your podcast 
will consider writing themselves because that is how it changes. Look, you're doing a podcast. You're putting these ideas into the universe, and thank you for it. I'm sorry it took me so long to hook up with you guys. Now I'm your best friend. I'm you're gonna talk. I'm gonna like you. <laughs> Worth the wait then. Yeah. <laughs> Dolores and I got on the phone last week to rec- we had to record a 10 minute introduction to one of our podcast episodes. And I said, Dolores, we got to do this quick because I have another call like in whatever, in 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 45 minutes later, we're like, okay, let's start now. I'm like, I'm like, let's start now. It's 45 minutes and we didn't even record anything yet. He had to push back his meeting and everything. It was like it's ridiculous. Funny. I'm like, I, I, I said it on the show. I'm like, you know, we just we just started recording this 10 minute thing, and we got on the phone 45 minutes ago. So we're just Italian, basically. Yeah. But let's be quick. So, so funny. <laughs> I know my daughter. I always have a hard time with titles, and I figured out it's because it's only two words, and I just can't come up with just two words. <laughs> yeah. So you don't have to worry about that. And we always, you know, we ha- when we book guests, we say, you know, 30 or so minutes, and it never is that quick like and even people who I have know. to go keep talking and you know we're it's great we love it but it's just our nature you know yeah it's it. just it's just the nature we're adorable what kind of tell you we are adorable yeah we have a lot of stuff to Everyone say. Loves us. <laughs> so lisa you talked about writing the books like starting out with the books but let's go back a little bit further and maybe talk to our audience about how you were a lawyer and how you got into writing like what made you want to get into writing and then when you did with that italian slam like maybe you could talk about that process Briefly, what happened was I loved being a lawyer, and the reason was family, frankly. I had a daughter, and my marriage kind of fell apart. I just loved being home with my baby girl, little Francesca. I said to myself, well, if your marriage is going to break up and you're going to be a single mom, you're going to have... Anyway, you've got to change your life now. Yeah. And that might be Italian, too, not to be a value judgment that... But that when she was born... You put your family first. It was like you had to... Honestly, there was nothing that felt to me more important. And also more fun, frankly. It wasn't like, this is my duty. It was like, oh my God. And I would run into people from the law firm. I quit instantly. I had no money, I quit. People would come to me from the law firm. I'd run into them on the street and they would go, aren't you bored at home? I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) I mean, and I liked being a lawyer, but being home with her and being with her, it's 30 years later, it's still the total gas. We're best friends. So I changed my life then. And then I said, well, you're broke. You have to earn money. And you're an English major. You went to Penn. You studied with Philip Roth. You've read all these wonderful authors. Why don't you just try and write one? As I said, I felt that there was a lack. I felt there weren't many women main characters, especially in crime fiction. And I like to write about justice and law, and that ends up being sort of crime fiction-y. And I just started. I had five years of rejection. I really went in terrible debt on credit cards just to stay alive. But it's not a soft story. I mean, my favorite rejection letter was from an agent in New York, and he said, um, we don't have time to take any more clients, and if we did, we wouldn't take you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I see that guy every year at American Books. Oh, I was the keynote last year. He's like, Lisa, Lisa. I'm like, no, I, I don't hear you. I don't have time to talk was, to you. I don't have time. You were about to <laughs> I can only talk to one more person, and it's not you. <laughs> It's exactly right. And you know what I thought to myself? I thought to myself, vendetta is an Italian word for yeah. a reason. <laughs> like, dude, because that, that's so Italian. But my mother taught me, man, you never forget the people who wronged you. You never, oh, you, yeah, 30 years later, he sh- it's right. It's, it oh, isn't exactly uh, yeah. positive, but it's true. <laughs> I think of it as like, I'd be decent to the person, depending on the level of what they did. But that doesn't mean he suddenly needs to be my best friend. You remember it. Like, <laughs> 
You're no. nicer, Dolores. You're right. Yes. That's yeah. <laughs> well, <I'll> no, <laughs> Thank you I'll for spinning that, that for me. <laughs> You're a true paisana. Thank you, dude. <laughs> So then basically I started writing and had the rejection and then finally got into print in paperback original, which is kind of lowly, but happily was nominated for an Edgar award and I lost, but I kept at it. And the next one, next book, which was Grace Rossi was another Italian American heroine. I tell you, I was writing Italians for 15 years before people noticed that I was not writing fiction. (laughs) Right. I was happy about it. I still am happy about it. With a lot of luck, and thank God for these wonderful readers who built a career. It's almost 30 novels now. And also the funny nonfiction books I write with my daughter. So it's very nice of you to say I'm successful. I still can't believe it, frankly, myself. It's what Italians do best. Hard work, resilience, and talent and humor. That's us, isn't it? It is. And I'm glad that you mentioned the five years where you were rejected, because I think especially in American culture, it's like people only talk about the success and they only want to see the success. And the long slog to get there is ignored. And they think it's overnight. One of my books, it was called The Vendetta Defense. I actually wanted to explore that nature because it's a function of time a little bit. And I always found a lot of patience in some of my older Italian relatives. I went to a pigeon racing club in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, which was composed entirely of Italian-American men who wow. were all in their 80s and 90s. Sounds and like I'll awesome. keep it short, but right at the bottom You know, it does. Was, I want to go. <laughs> yeah, you got to go. So they're raising a pigeon to be a homing pigeon. You have to breed for that. So what I'm saying to you is it could take them 20 years to get a pigeon that was the best racer. And you want to throw in one more fun fact about it? The way homing pigeons work is that they bond for life. So the way these racers did it was they keep the wife bird in the coop, and then they, like, drive to, like, Ohio, no joke, and release the male pigeon, and he flies home to his mate. Mm. And when I said to these pigeons, because the big question with any kind of homing pigeon is, how do they know? And frankly, science doesn't even know how they know. And this little old Italian man said to me, you always know you're home. Wow. And he flies Love home to that. her because he loves her. And I was like, uh, <laughs> that's going to be in the book. <laughs> and it is. Yeah, and it's it is. beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It doesn't get better than that. Yeah. But you're right about time. Our culture, I think we understand good things take time. What did Michelangelo say? The statue is just in the marble. He has to chip it out to get it free or something. Yeah. 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 Incredible. Incredible. So, Lisa, I know this is a nerdy author question, but I'm just curious as to like. How, you guys. <laughs> I, you're never going to get me off the phone. <laughs> I have another interview at 1230. I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) I just have a like a question about how you write. Like, do you block off like large amounts of time? Do you get like totally into your books and like not able to do much else when you're in the writing process? How does that look if you don't mind sharing? No, of course not. Do we even say things like sharing? That sounds good, but (laughs) please, can you stop me from telling you? (laughs) At this point. 
point, I'm doing two novels a year. I do the Rosado series, and I do another one. And then I do this memoir series, which is so funny with my daughter, which is about mothers and daughters and my mother. And it's really about Italian family life, frankly, and it's funny. I think of it as sort of like the Italian-American Irma Bombeck, because that's really what it is. So that means that, you know, I have a pretty no-joke writing schedule, but I like it. So every day I write, and I do. Two, my goal is 2,000 words a day. Okay. And I started at nine, and that can take me a lot of times till six. Many times, though, it takes me till 11. <laughs> and I do that every day, seven days a week. And I'm, I'm the luckiest person you'll ever talk to on the phone. I'm just telling you that. You've created a place where that can be your every day. It's most people's dream. It's great. But I'm sure you yeah, worked for it. It's my dream, too. Right. right. It wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, I had a day job for several years. And, you know, in the real world, if you're a working author... I'm on the road now this week. I can't write. It's fun because you get to meet actual readers and hug them and try to stick your tongue into their throats. We just got to Hi, I'm Italian. Let's hug. But, but the great thing is they respond to the book so they kind of know what they're in for. And I think they like the whole experience. And it, I must tell you, it is a little bit of an Italian experience. Yeah. And the rest of the time when I go home, you know, there's other business questions you have to answer. What about the cover? What about promotion? Look at this ad. So it isn't like you get to sit and stare into space and work for eight hours and no one bothers you. I don't mind all that. I think, look, it's like you said about the DeLillo. There's a lot of hubbub. We don't mind hubbub. Mm -hmm. We're good at hubbub. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Because, I mean, Dolores and I write a lot. And I think for me, it's like... As much as someone says, like, when you like to go somewhere and just sit there, like, in a log cabin in the woods and, like, write for a week, I'm kind of like, I don't think I could handle that because my personality right. is, like, I need, like, a lot of stuff going on. I need people talking <laughs> to me. And then I can go in a room, close the door and write for, like, an hour and just get a bunch of stuff done. For some reason, I feel like having those other things going on keeps me going. I don't know if it's, like, the Italian in me. Like, I need all this stuff going on. I got to talk to people. I got to do stuff. But it's, like, a weird thing, you know? Yeah. No, I Being alone in a cabin that. for a week horrifies me. I'm like, that's <laughs> not good at all. <laughs> I feel like my cousin Vinny. Remember my cousin Vinny? Yeah. He can't sleep. And <laughs> so quiet. Yeah. Uh, Growing up, writing myself as well, I had a part of me that did want quiet and privacy. I don't know if it was just the way I was born or what, but so I would kind of try and find places where I, it could be a little quiet. I mean, I'm one of four siblings, really loud house, but I never could be away for too long. I always right. actually my best memories of when I felt like I was working the best or like I felt the safest was when I was maybe alone in my room, but there were tons of people downstairs and I could hear them. Yeah. Oh, that's a lovely yeah, image. But I like can recall that. and even like still if I'm visiting with my mom and I'm I'm there in the house, maybe I go upstairs, like I like just the noise of it. And then like when I'm ready, I can go back into it. But I wouldn't want it to just not be there. Yeah, the noise of it. That's great. I know when, when, when my relatives would come over on Sunday, my mother liked to play piano. And so a lot of my relatives played various instruments and they would bring them all over. We had this tiny little house and That's it would awesome. be like bursting with noise and sound and music. And it was just magic. I mean, wow. it really was. What kind of music did they play? Do you recall? Standards. Was and it like American all the old... standards or Italian? It was American Italian song? It, it, it was Sinatra nonstop, honestly. Nice. <laughs> you know, it was all of those. <laughs> it was all of those. In fact, I wrote a book once about where there's warring factions in South Philadelphia of the people who love Frank Sinatra and the people who love Dean Martin. And then Tony Bennett has to intervene. And it's just too funny. That was the music I grew up with. Yeah. And also the Italian folk songs, which they played and the stuff they play at weddings. 
Right. Yeah, I love that. I love that kind of music and the old Nubbly Don songs that I grew up. My mom. Yeah, the stuff they play music, you know, something about the Mitsumare. That's fine. Exactly. Mitsumare. Yep. Yeah, so you, <laughs> you mentioned that you write with your daughter, Francesca. How did that start? It started because, again, I was reading the newspaper and I kind of was missing humor. I was missing everything with politics, and I know all that's important, but God, it's not, it doesn't have to be nonstop. And I felt like, I need a break from this. Mm. And I know I can make these people laugh if I just tell them about my life. And like Irma Bombeck did, only with sort of updated, because I don't have like the nuclear family or anymore. It's just me and my daughter. But we are best friends. So I just started to write about my life, and then she started to write about in response, because people said you talk about your daughter so much as all Italian mothers. Yeah. The joke I like to tell is, what is the difference between an Italian mother and a Rottweiler? What? The answer is, the, the Rottweiler lets go. <laughs> That's a good one. It's a good one, because you know it's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when I write, I got a whole book out of that, Look Again, which was a standalone that none of the characters were Italian, but they all act like they're Italian, which is great. <laughs> but anyway, so that's a long story short. She started writing, and she was in college at the time. She went to Harvard, so see, Italians are not so dumb. <laughs> We're writing together, and those books have actually become bestsellers. There's eight of them. Wow, that's awesome. The ones out this summer called, thank you, it's called, uh, I Need a Lifeguard Everywhere But the Pool. I, I think that's, that's funny. Just kind of being unguarded. I think that's part right. of who we are, too. We're not afraid to be silly. Right. I think you can play the fool when you know you're not a fool. Exactly. Can you tell Dolores laughs like every minute? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you I would say people either love it or hate it. I don't know. I'd just be myself. I want to meet you. We get comments all the time, Lisa. Dolores, I love your laugh. Like on our podcast, Dolores, I love your laugh. Dolores, I love your laugh. <laughs> when well, we I hang up, I want to get all your information. Oh, definitely. Oh, for sure. I mean, at least, sure, yeah. I figure the people who hate the laugh just don't write in because they probably stop listening. So <laughs> It's adorable. How could they hate the laugh? You're adding years to people's lives. Lisa, stop. She's going to keep laughing. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, I love uh, shows like this. I'm actually genuinely laughing. It's good. My stomach's going to hurt by the time we're done. Whew. I just want to go back for a second to Sunday dinner because Dolores and I are actually working on a book ourselves about Italian-American children traditions and not just like oh what God. they were, but like why we do them. Wonderful. Like, so I'm focused right now on Sunday dinner and I'm doing a lot of research on it. It's really interesting. And when you talk to Italian Americans about their childhood, it's always the first thing. Like you came, you said it like one of the first things on the interview today. Like, oh, I, you know, my, I think you said your mom had 19 siblings and she had them all over for Sunday dinner, you know? And it's like always, right. it always comes up like the first thing. I mean, it's obvious that it was such an important part of your childhood, right? I think you're absolutely on to something with that. I never thought of it before. But the truth is, and I didn't even realize it until I went to school at University of Penn, which was in Philly. Now, even in college, I went home every Sunday for Sunday dinner. Yeah. Really? That's, I remember when, wow. I remember someone said, that's kind of weird. I'm like, is it? <laughs> yeah. Right, because for you, it was normal. You it seems wouldn't, normal, like, you wouldn't yeah. Be doing totally else. normal. Yeah. I loved it. And frankly, we weren't really religious family, so it wasn't connected to church. Nobody in my family went to church. It was just that we had Sunday dinner, and it was a big damn deal, and we loved every minute of it. And I never would have missed it. Never. My father drove into the city to pick me up, drove me back. That was when I first understood that not everybody did that, or that maybe I should 
not do it when I was in college, but that never occurred to me. Never. Yeah. It's yeah. Such, a, such a powerful tradition because every Italian American we talked to, they had it. You know, it was like a fundamental pillar of their childhood. They remember meeting with their cousins every Sunday and running around and, and their, their grandparents cooking and all this stuff, which is so cool because it's such like a, I mean, we have a lot of things in common as Italian Americans, but that's always like a guarantee. Like you could always talk to someone about it. Like they, oh yeah, Sunday dinner. Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. yeah. I think you that's know? really insightful. I never realized that until now. And you know, that's why when you hear like about two years ago, there were things saying in the news where it would be important for people just to eat family dinners. And I was like, who doesn't sit down to a family dinner? Yeah. And then right. I realized, I guess people don't do that. But even when it was just me and my daughter growing up, we always eat dinner. We'd never dream of not eating dinner. I mean, I don't even understand what they're talking about. Right. Somebody needed to study that. You're like, yeah, wait a minute. That, that, and, that, and, that's, and we're laughing about it, but I'm like doing, a, I'm doing a lot of the, the research right now for this book. I'm looking at that. And, and I felt the same way when I was doing the research. I'm like, what are they like? I don't even, I don't, that's not even a concept in my mind, but like in these studies, what they're saying is people that families that don't eat together, the effects on the kids long-term are like amazing. I'm reading this stuff. Like I, I never even crossed my mind. Like, I don't, I don't think my parents right. would let us not eat together no matter right. what was going on. Yeah. Right. Right. I look how lucky we were. And I know, and I think that's probably the way they kept the family connected. I think they did it completely. As you say, it's like autopilot. Yeah. No one ever made me. I wanted to. And, you know, of course, what happened at college was I started bringing people home with me. And they probably loved it, right? Yeah, she's going to have ravioli with home. We call it gravy. You probably call it gravy, right? We call I'm it gravy. sauce. Anthony's I'm gravy. gravy. Oh, I'm gravy. Yes. <laughs> All right, we got her. We got her on number now, Lisa. We got Dolores on number. That's right. We win. Sorry, Dolores. Most people we interview are calling it gravy, so we got to no, add these up. Sauce. Oh my god, I'm gonna. I am gonna listen to this podcast nonstop now. I feel like I just got a dose at home with you guys. Oh, Wait, where were we? You were talking about. Oh. We're talking about food. What else are we talking about? Sunday dinner. Sunday dinner. <laughs> Yeah. Now we all forget. It's a very, very important tradition that seems to be a recurring theme. And I'm actually talking to a woman later today that I'm interviewing that has been back in Southern Italy where the actual Sunday dinner started because we're tracing it back. Oh my God. Yeah. It's extraordinary stuff. It's like really interesting. I'm really glad we're working on this project because... well. Anything you need from me, if you want to, um, we don't have to do it now, but you want to talk to me later. Yeah. Any way I can help yeah. you, I would love to promote it. Oh, that's um, great. You know, yeah. we'll talk about it later. Right. That's, that's really important. And I think everybody would clue into that. Yeah. Yeah, Wonderful. we kind of wanted to go deeper than the stereotypes or just the surface of things and get a little bit underneath what makes us tick and why, you know, where does it all come from? Yeah. Just add a that's dimension to it. That's a great way to put it. What makes us tick? What yeah. makes your cultural identity? When did it start? Like, that's news to me that you can trace it back. I can't wait to. Yeah, I didn't know that either. That. Lisa, even like what you talked about before, like Italian Americans are just hard. Like, for the most part, from when we speak to people, they got a lot of hustle, they got a lot of hard work. It's not like a coincidence. Like, every one of these people we're interviewing on the podcast are like nonstop. They're going. Maybe that goes back to our like Italian roots of like a lot of them were farmers fighting for their life. They had to do whatever they had to do. And that's some of the stuff that we're like uncovering. And it, it's kind of interesting. It, it's not such a coincidence that we thought it was. You know, when you talk to other Italians, it's like, well, yeah. this is all a reason. Yeah. That's fascinating. I know when I went to, uh, I guess, two years ago, because my books are published in Italy, which is so wonderful. Although now I 
But you know what's funny? They didn't want to publish them under my last name because they thought it sounded too Italian. And the idea was that Italians want to buy books by Americans. Wow. So for a long time, I was published as Lisa Scott. Really? I'm friendly with David Baldacci, who's a wonderful guy. And the same thing happened to him. They, want, they published him as David Ford. And, oh, my God. And, so interesting. I didn't know that. Um, well, who knows? But now I'm published there under my own name, which I really do like because I never changed my name. I'm proud of my name. And it's a really small little tribe, the Scottolinis. So I went to see where my father was from about two years ago in connection with an Italian book tour, basically. And you're so right, though, Anthony, that when you see the countryside where my father lived and where my mother's family was from, Abruzzi, I don't know how they grew things in Abruzzi. It's like a lot of rocks, and you could see how it took enormous hustle. That's why I really get pissed when I hear this kind of a, we don't work hard or we're lazy or that part of the stereotype is just so untrue. Yeah, you're right. I had the same experience. I went for the summer for the first time and I met my family in Italy last summer and they have a farm. You know, you see them working every day and it's just like, this is like my great grandfather used to, at one point in time, he lived on this farm, you know, he was doing the farming and you know, it's not, this is, this is kind of like where we're coming from. So I think it does give you that perspective when you actually get to go there. And that's something that Dolores and I try to encourage through the podcast is, yeah. I know it's not going to be maybe as glamorous as going to like a Rome or like a, you know, a Florence, but it's like where you came from. It's like you. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. You're absolutely right to encourage it. I took so long to do it in a way. My brother went with my father when my father was still alive, and I wish I had done that. Mm. Still kicking yeah. myself over that. You have a busy life, Lisa. Obviously, you're, you know, you're writing, you're on book tour. How do you keep some of these Italian-American traditions going in modern time now? I really think it's the stuff that we're talking about. It's just second nature. They say horses have a way of going. I like that term because I think we have a way of being, and it's who we are. And if you're, especially when you're writing fiction or even when I'm writing the nonfiction, which I always think of nonfiction as literally true and fiction, you want it to be true. In fact, I always quote when I do these signings, you know, Francis Ford Coppola, mm. who, as you know, of course, did all the Godfather movies and everything else. But he said, nothing in my movies ever happened, but all of it is true. Uh, I like that. And that's brilliant. And I remember the first time I saw The Godfather from the wedding scene. Obviously, it was much more high rent than my family. But when I saw that, I said, that is my life. I lived that family. Just the way they are at the wedding. Of course, yeah. Right? Did you feel it was like... Well, I think it's part of why the movies were so successful, because take out the mob stuff, which most of us, believe it or not, as Italian-Americans can't relate to, the stuff like that, the weddings, the family, the feel of it, Right. we all knew it. Everybody. It was our lives. Exactly right. It was like a shock of kind of like recognition. My mother always said, be yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's good advice. So I think the way I keep it alive, with these traditions, is I'm just myself. I always say, I never hide that I'm Italian. I always mention that the characters are Italian-American. Their Italian-Americanness is a huge part of who they are. And people respond to because, you know, this will make you so happy. But I get a lot of email and people go... I love these Denunzio books, even though I'm not Italian. And it was really, yeah, that, really cute because I can tell that they feel like apologetic. Like, I'm not Italian, but I really, it's okay. I, really wish I, was. I, wa- I want to be. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, but you know that old line about the world divides into people, those who are Italian, those who want to be. Like, yeah. come on. That's right. <laughs> and so I think it's 
just so good that you guys do this because you're building up our self-esteem and we need it. We need it as a culture. We really do. When we started this, like we didn't know what to expect. The feedback and the audience is amazing to us every day. We still can't believe it that we're like, even we were together yesterday and we're just thinking like, we can't believe that this grew the way it did. It's just, it's unbelievable. But yeah, we get to talk to people like you. I mean, and, and like laugh and talk about this part of our lives that is everything and so important. It's amazing. I think too, what's great about it is, you know, Lisa, you've probably done a lot of interviews, but probably not a lot of interviews that dive deep into your Italian heritage. And that's what makes our show interesting because we get to talk to a lot of people like you that, that really like to talk about where they came from, but they don't always have that opportunity. No, you're absolutely right. Actually, I never have before. I've joined some Italian American organizations, but they don't really do interviews. And I think it's great. I wish we connected more as Italians. I think it's really necessary. We can find each other, and you guys are really facilitating that. And I mean, I'm going to subscribe and whatever I have to do because I'm going to listen to this. Thank you. It's great. So, Lisa, we want to talk to you about your new book, Exposed. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Right. So it's the continuing adventures of this law firm headed by these two women, Mary Denunzio and Benny Rosado, who are, have become partners over, I guess it's 17 books or so, maybe 15, <laughs> I don't know. I'm bad Lost at numbers. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but I really like writing about them because, again, the, Mary's family is very prominent in her life, and Benny sort of lacks a family. And the subtext to Exposed is, I mean, the headline is that for the first time ever, these two women who have been partners are actually going to be at loggerheads legally mm. because Benny Rosado, who's sort of the queenpin of the law firm and, uh, you know, talk about intellectual rigor, a public interest lawyer working hard for justice her whole life, um, really a brilliant woman. And she represents this major parent company. And along comes Mary Denunzo, who's sort of the, the heartfelt one of the two. And she's very connected in South Philly, which is Philadelphia's Italian-American community where I grew up and all my relatives are still. And all the West Philly is my dad's side. My mother is from South Philly and my father's from West Philly. And I swear you would think it was a mixed marriage the way they talk. It was hysterical. (laughs) When I grew up and I realized they lived 10 blocks apart and you would have thought it was the North and the South Pole, but I I, I don't want to digress right now. So regional, it's not even funny. Yeah. Anyway, Mary comes along and she wants to represent a man who was fired from actually an Italian who happens to be Jewish, because I'm very interested in Italian Jews, which they don't get enough attention. Mm -hmm. So he has been fired from his job because his daughter has cancer. And it's a long story short, that's unlawful. Mary feels terrible and she's going to represent him because she always represents the underdog and always is about all emotion. And then she's going to run in conflict with Benny Rosado, her partner, because Benny represents the parent company of the subsidiary whom Mary wants to sue. So that's what's going on in Exposed. These two women are going to fight. Listen, nobody fights like Italian girls. I mean, it's a little. (laughs) And they are really going to have to explode their law firm or they're going to have to reconcile and figure out they both have a cause they want to fight for. They both believe very strongly in, not only with their heart, but with their head. They're going to have to resolve it some way, and that's the conflict in Exposed, which is the fifth Sounds exciting. in this new um, – I kind of rebooted the series, having been writing about it for so long after Mary D'Annunzio finally made partner. So the series started with Accused, 
and then it went to betrayed, corrupted, damaged, exposed. You get the pattern. It's alphabetical. Yeah. Because Sue Grafton's done with the alphabet. That's why I said to myself, <laughs> like, you can't copyright the alphabet. So here, here we're on E. Uh, so that's that's what, uh, I'll make sure you guys get copies. Did you not? I'll have to get you oh. some advanced copies. I love that. I think what's really great is that you seem to have taken all of your passions, like, you know, law, author, family values, Italian, and you write about them and it all works together, which is, I guess, is how you did this for so long, right? You have so many books in the series, which is just so cool. Well, that's very kind of you to say. I think maybe that's right, although I never thought about it until you just said it that way, Anthony. I think, as my kid would say, I leaned into it. Yeah. yeah. I you, couldn't, mm-hmm. you couldn't not, right. unless you're just going to be fake. Why bother? It doesn't seem like your style. Yeah. (laughs) And I do believe what I said. I mean, I do think it is a great strength of this country that we welcome diversity. And so be whoever you are and write your story. And you guys are elucidating our stories and writing our stories, too. And it's important. Yeah. And it's fun. We agree. Yep. Well, we want to thank you. I mean, we could talk to you for three days straight, but you have things to do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know. Well, we are you guys in New York? Yes. Where are you? Yes. We're in New York. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. I'm gonna. We're gonna. We'll conclude the interview, and then we need to talk more. Okay. Yeah. yeah definitely. That sounds good. We'll keep talking off mic. <laughs> so look for Lisa's new book, Exposed, and we're gonna link to a lot of her resources in the show notes for this post, and you can follow her. It's all over social media. We'll link to her. Follow her around and enjoy. It's always great to see an Italian American writing and getting Italian Americans out there. Like you said, Lisa, you have this series, and to have two Italian women on the series that has so much people love it. I mean, it's been out there for a long time. It's reaching great. a lot of people. Yeah. Reaching a lot of people. We'd love to see it and just thank you and we wish you the best on continued success. Aww. Well, that's very kind of you guys. Thank you so, so much. Loved having you, Lisa. It is now time for the Italian-American story segment of the episode. This is the part of the show where we try to bring you back to your family gatherings, conversations, and we try to play a recording or a story from one of our listeners or our own relatives or even read something that a listener submitted. Well, as I mentioned earlier in today's segment, I talk with Zach Diono from Hawaii, an Italian-American in Hawaii, which is, I know, can maybe you wouldn't even think about that, but he's there, he's doing great things, and he is coordinating the first Italian feast in Hawaii. And you can hear my conversation with him. Here it goes. All right. So now I am excited to welcome Zach Diono to the Italian American podcast. Zach's been a listener for a while. He's been a member of our new neighborhood. We've gotten to know him. And what's really interesting is that he grew up in New Jersey as an Italian American and he's now living in Hawaii. So we want to talk to him about his story. Zach, welcome to the Italian American podcast. Uh, Thanks so much for having me. Aloha to everyone out there. Um, it's great to be on the show. Yeah. So Zach, I guess start growing up in New Jersey as an Italian American. What was that like? Jersey has all sorts of stereotypes and as I'm sure everyone's familiar with, but I grew up in a town called West Caldwell and we had a fair amount of Italians in that community, a town of about 30,000 people. Most of my friends that I grew up with had last names that ended in a vowel. And, uh, a lot of us, I would say a lot of my friends were, you know, listening to your last podcast about the uh, diaspora out of Southern Italy. I definitely think most of my friends were from the Southern Italy region. And so listening to that podcast really kind of makes this conversation interesting in terms of the demographic I see here in Hawaii versus what I grew up with in New Jersey. But nonetheless, my father's family 
immigrated to America from San Bartolomeo de Galdo, which is uh, northeast of Naples. And my, uh, my, my, my father's first cousin, who's an editor for the New Jersey paper, Star Ledger, recently just visited the hometown, met some 95-year-old relative there and kind of connected that side of the family, which was really powerful in terms of reconnecting with your family from the motherland and reading his editorial in that paper was really amazing and gave me chicken skin, as we say in Hawaii, goosebumps. And then my mother's side of the family, who we've been a lot closer with and in contact with, is from Basilicata in a town called Montescalioso. Our family has been there several times. I've been there once to visit this family. They've been to America now twice. And we have a very strong relationship with, with them. And I'll be going to Italy at the end of the month, hopefully seeing them again. It's been really great, I think, the last couple of years. And this again, this podcast really has been an extension of my search to reconnect with the heritage. And New Jersey has you know, been everything I've known growing up about Italian culture is based out of New Jersey for right or for wrong. New Jersey was an amazing experience in terms of going to all the different pizzerias and restaurants that have all those things that you grew up eating. And then it really changed moving to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. So to take us through that decision process, how old were you? What happened? What made you move to Hawaii? I was on my senior year at college and I was trying to figure out what the heck I was going to be doing afterwards. And um, amongst other things, I was looking into a program called Teach for America that places college grads into low-income, high-need communities to teach. They had just opened a region in 2006 to Hawaii. And I thought, man, that'd be a cool place to go. And I had been there in 2004 for a surfing trip. But I thought, you know, it'd be cool to go back and contribute something to the community. Public education is something that's very dear to my heart. So I deferred my acceptance for a year and then uh, went out in 2007. And yeah, I had hair down in the middle of my back at the time. And uh, I taught in uh, the community of Eva Beach Middle School Special Education this Italian kid from New Jersey in the middle of a school with not very many white people. And um, I had an amazing experience. It was very profound. You had this decision. How did this go with your family? And what were you thinking when you left? Were you thinking it was short term? Were you like saying goodbye to them? Like, I'll be back. Or how did that go? It was kind of like the scene from like the Titanic, like, goodbye, I'm never going to forget to you. <laughs> um, no, no, my, my mother was very, as you can imagine, any Italian mothers were very teary-eyed and almost angry that I was leaving. I wasn't sure, actually. I thought it was maybe going to be temporary. And then I think once I spent my first year there, I felt something here that I, I just knew I was going to be here longer. I didn't know what I was going to be doing. Okay, so you left the family there. You said goodbye. You went on this journey. You took this teaching position, and you're saying it was an amazing experience, it sounds like? Phenomenal. Phenomenal. A lot of my students never had interacted with somebody who had Italian heritage. And so sharing that with them, because culture here is so important in Hawaii, because there's so many of them, uh, cultures here, and the blending of the cultures. And so for me to come as a, quote-unquote, purebred was a novelty in one sense, but being Italian, you know, there's so much of this stigma or stereotype and wonderful things and maybe not so wonderful things people think about when they think of Italians. But I was able to share for me food. People in Hawaii connect very quickly over food. So I was able to make some things for my kids, for my students. And that was wonderful for them. Yeah, it was very cool. So that's cool. So, all right. So take us through this now a little bit. Now you're 
Now, how old were you when you let, when you got there? I was probably 23 when I moved here. So you're 23. You're an Italian American from New Jersey. You grew up in New Jersey. You say goodbye to the family. You go there. You start connecting with the community. And Hawaii is obviously a just a beautiful place. I mean, in a lot of ways, for a lot of reasons. But New Jersey's full of Italians. We know that. It surrounds you to a place where there isn't as many. Like, as far as a community standpoint, what did you do? Did you feel like you, you, fe- you needed to find Italian Americans there? You need to create Italian American community? What happened? I've been here now for 10 years. And if, I think for the first eight and a half years, I did my best to assimilate to the local culture because I didn't want to be viewed as an outsider. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be able to take on the the cultural norms, which is a blend of native Hawaiian, Japanese, Chinese, Filipino, Polynesia. But I got to a point where I went to Italy in 2014 and I went to the birthplace of my bisnono. And I have one of those out-of-body experiences when I'm sitting in this little piazza of Montescalioso from where he grew up and left to go to America. And when I got back to Hawaii that year, I thought to myself, I need to reconnect. I feel like standing in that little piazza, I had a sense of place for the first time in my life. And so I knew when I went back to Hawaii, I needed to reignite that Italian uh, pride that I had and that connection too. So I literally Googled it was Italian Cultural Club Hawaii. And first came up was Friends of Italy Society of Hawaii. So I went to the website and uh, I was like, okay, let's give it a try. I went to this annual dinner they have and I met some people who I knew already in the, in the work community that I knew were Italian-Americans. Um, but then I met a lot of expat Italians and other Italian-Americans. And it was great. And you heard the language and you saw the hands flying. And it was just all sorts of things that I grew up with. And I felt like, wow. This is great. So that's where the connect. That's how I reengaged. And then, you know, what has happened since then has been really wonderful. Too. That must have felt awesome when you reengaged. It's like when you go home and you have that certain smell in your mom's kitchen that you maybe you remember when you're a little kid or when you're growing up and you haven't smelt it for a while, but your body never forgets it. And that feeling of being around your your paisani was just it was incredible, and it still is incredible. That's awesome. So you so talk about that. So now it's been, what, a year and a half or so that you reconnected with the community. And it seems like you guys are like a, a great community. You're very passionate. You're together. You do things together. Yeah. So this, this organization has been around since 1990. And um, actually one of the, I think the nieces or the granddaughters of Mayor Frank Fossey, who is the only Italian-American mayor and the longest, he had the, he served the longest for Honolulu in the state. Um, it was signed by his, the bylaws of this organization was signed by like his granddaughter or something. And, you know, been around since 1990 and the club was thriving for quite a while. And I think they kind of tailed off and participation maybe waned. But in this last year and a half, we really reinvigorated and, and reengaged people who had maybe fell out of touch and kept those people who are still engaged, more engaged. And it's been great. I mean, we've, we're doing all sorts of events now. We're getting a lot of not Italians involved in our events because, Italian culture in Hawaii is very intriguing and still has that mystique that maybe it doesn't have in New Jersey and New York because it's just the way it is there. Yeah, it's been great to just be around, again, a lot of my friends who are now my peers, not just older folks. We do have a lot of older folks in our community, but now seeing that there's a lot of younger folks my age who we can connect with both from Italy and from who are born and raised in America, it's, it's been awesome. That's great. And I see that you guys looks like you're having a feast or you're putting on an event in the fall. Is that right? Festa Italiana, it will be the, you know, there's every year, every cultural 
group has some type of festival or you know an, a major event and uh even the greeks the greeks have the greek festival and they've been doing it for years and i i've always asked people how come there hasn't been an italian festival we actually have an outstanding number of italians that live in the state probably over three or four or five hundred i would even say wow yeah even more on maui than oahu and oahu is the main island and people just said you know it's just a lot logistically it's tough we're a volunteer only organization but I got together with a group of people and uh, chefs and other people in our club and other influencers. And I said, let's do it. You know, let's let's make it happen. Let's bring the pride to, to the street and get this community aware of what Italian culture looks like. And so, yeah, October 7th, we are slated to have Hawaii's first ever Italian festival. Just very excited about that. You know, if you guys are checking, anyone's interested, who's listening, www.festaitalianahawaii.com just to see, you know, what local Italian businesses in Hawaii look like, because for some people that is inconceivable. <laughs> um, but we're here and it's, uh, it's happening and we're very excited. Well, it's great. And the last question I'll ask you, Zach, as we wrap up is looking back now, I mean, it's been 10 years, you made this transition. You're obviously happy. It sounds like you're staying in Hawaii. How's your relationship with your family? Like, how's that go? Do you talk to them on a regular basis? Do they come and visit you? How does that look? I'm the oldest of six kids and I, and actually my uh yeah traditional roman catholic family right so my mother and my sister actually just left here like a day and a half ago so it was really wonderful spending time with them here and they get to see what my life looks like they were making food you know my mom's making all some of her great dishes for my girlfriend's family who is made of hawaiian portuguese chinese puerto rican and so having the italian mom come in and uh, the eagle has land, landed with with the with the delicious dishes. You know, she's bringing back all sorts of like cured meats from New Jersey and stuff. But yeah, it's tough. I you know we we are very close. My my siblings and I are very close. I'm very close to my mother, and uh, my cousins and my aunts and uncles. But um, it, that has and continues to be a struggle for me. But at the same time, you know, I really appreciate my family being supportive of me going out and kind of creating this life out here and and ultimately sharing what. What I've been wanting to do is to share share our culture, share share our pastimes with people who maybe don't know or who are wanting to know. And I have a girl here that I'm crazy in love with, and I'm probably going to never leave because of her. And she loves embracing the culture just as much. So I'm happy to be here in Hawaii, but still be an Italian boy, spreading the Italian aloha, if you will. Yeah, well, listen, man, I think anytime... Obviously, I don't have to tell you or our listeners that, you know, Dolores and I are passionate about spreading the Italian-American passion where we can and finding people like you and just talking about it. And the fact that you've gone to Hawaii and of all places, you're kind of growing this community, helping to grow it and do the feast and everything is great. And I, I just I, I wish you the best. It's it's just a great story, man. No, I appreciate it. And I'll definitely keep you guys in the loop through the neighborhood. And, uh, you know, hopefully as this festa grows, we can create some type of way for folks in our Italian American community, both through the podcast in the neighborhood or elsewhere to, to come out and check it out. We'd love to have you folks see what Italian culture looks like in the Aloha state. Yeah, that's awesome, Zach. I appreciate you spending some time with our listeners and we'll definitely keep an eye on the feast and hopefully, you know, I'm sure it'll be successful and hopefully it'll grow and grow. Me too. That's, that's the goal. 
All right. So I hope you enjoyed the episode with Lisa Scottolini. She was definitely fun to interview for sure. We had a lot of fun with her. And then, of course, Zach from Hawaii, which I know was something different for all you Italian-Americans out there. Now I'm going to kick it over to Dolores and she's going to take us out. Just some reminders. You can connect with us via email by visiting ItalianAmericanExperience.com and clicking on the Join Us tab. And there's still room for you in the new neighborhood if you haven't joined already. Check out ItalianNeighborhood.com to learn how to join us in the neighborhood. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. I don't actually understand how it works, but I do know that the more reviews we get, the more iTunes promotes the show, the more Italian-Americans find it. Lastly, we are on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Italian American. We are on Twitter at ItalAmerican. And we are on Facebook at Italian American Podcast. Da nostri cuori!